Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Good morning. The best announcements guy ever in the world. And uh, last week, after I gave the announcements, I went home pretty discouraged. I went home uh, feeling pretty defeated. I said, God, like, I messed up on the announcements. God, I took way too long. And of course, my, uh, God always uses my wife to speak these truths to me. Honey, you are way too long. You hold the microphone too long. And I, I felt like so like, man, I, I got to do better. And, then, and I, I thought, you know, I said, Pastor Tavis, you got to take over, man. You got to do the announcements. And it's just so much more like, I mean, so much more handsome too. He looks so much better in the pulpit too, like with his hair, like, you know, the you know, facial hair. And, and by the way, guys, you know, can I just say this before we start sermon today? I was a little hurt last week. I had spent the past three and a half months growing some hair on my face, all right? And, and Saturday, I, I had shaved, and come Sunday, no one had noticed. <laughs> no, no one had acknowledged that I had shaved. And, and so I'm like, oh, man, God, again, God, I took a big L. And, 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 um, and Sam, my brother Sam here, tried to console me and say, hey, pastor's guy noticed it too. Hey, I think, I think because of you, I think this guy's at rooftop trying to grow facial hair. Um, I don't know if that's true, but if, even if it's not, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the credit because I need something at this point. <laughs> But, but again, uh, good to see you guys. Thanks for the sharing the announcements. Um, I'm going to just stick to what I feel like I'm really called to do here. I'm going to preach the Word of God. Is that okay today? Are you guys with me? And, and um, I know I had shared last week that over the course of next few weeks, I'm just going to continue to download, which I believe that God has just um, highlighted during my time of sabbatical where there's certain messages like burn really strongly. God has really imprinted in this season. And I would love nothing more than to be able to share the same thing and be hoping that and praying that uh, the same imprints that God has made on my heart and my life, that it would be passed on onto this congregation so that we can truly be the church that God has gifted us with. God has empowered us. God has called us to be. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, meet me in book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And if you have been with us for the past few months, you should be very familiar familiar with this passage because I believe Pastor Tavis preached on this passage at least once a month for the past uh, few months. So... Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And today we are going to talk about the importance of community. More specifically, the viability of community. We're not going to spend so much about what constitutes a community, but we're going to talk about what makes it a great community. And we're going to draw just a few distinct marks of a biblical uh, and a spiritual community mentioned in the first church in all of history, and we're going to learn uh, and we're going to glean from the passage that's mentioned here. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. 
And it's quite short, so let's read together in one voice, shall we? And I'm reading from the NSB version. If you don't have your own Bible, you can refer to the screen ahead of you. Ready? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together had all things in common. And they began selling their properties and possessions and were sharing with them all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their minds, meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having a favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you, Lord. God, we receive this church as a gift from you. God, we believe that you have called us not only to be a part of this church, to enjoy and to eat the fruits of the ministries here, Lord, but God, you have called us also to be the builders and the architects of your church. So God, today, God, as we learn to understand what it means to be an interdependent uh, community, God, I pray, would you remind us, would you empower us, God, and in turn, would you commission us so that we may be the light post, God, the lighthouse in this darkened world. Give us not only ears to hear, but God, hearts to receive all that you're ready to impart to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, before we begin, just quickly turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I depend on you. Turn to the person right of you say, hey, I depend on you. Turn to the person left of you say, hey, I depend on you. I know we have some newcomers here, some visitors. Uh, you're sitting next to someone that you don't really know well. I dare you right now to do the same thing. Hey, turn to the person and say, hey, I've never met you, but hey, I depend on you. Go ahead. Hey, I don't awkward. Do it. If you're sitting... Hey, I depend on you. Maybe you're not really close, but say, hey, I depend on you. And you guys are getting nervous because, you know, I know who he is, and I don't know if I feel all that comfortable saying, hey, I depend on you. Let me be clear as we open up this passage here. Let me be clear that the church community that is described here in Acts chapter 2 was by no means was it a perfect church. I don't believe for once that there's such thing as the perfect church. I was once told to me years ago that the perfect church does not exist. The perfect spiritual community does not exist. Because even if it were true, the moment you step into it, the moment a person becomes a member, it would stop being the perfect community because of your mere, your, uh, the mere presence of you. Because it has to do with our imperfections. Because it has to do with our flaws and brokenness. So perfect church does not exist. But when you read the descriptions mentioned in Acts chapter 2, you cannot help but to get excited. You cannot help but to be motivated and dream of the possibility of, man, I would love to be a part of that church. You step in. The Bible tells us that people were devoted to worshiping God together, praising God together. They were devoted to learning God's word, meaning people showed up to these gatherings. They were ready to take notes 
I don't know how, but they were ready to receive the preaching of God's word. They were continually devoting themselves, not only receiving from the Lord, but ministering to one another. They were so good at this. They were so good at this. And they, they, the Bible tells us that they kept feeling a sense of awe. They kept being filled with a sense of awe. I don't know about you, but that word awe is not a word that we daily use. That word awe is not something that we often associate ourselves in any events or any experiences that we encounter during the course of our lives. We say the words like awesome. We can say like, you know, oh man, man, dinner last night, man, that was awesome. Disneyland, if you want, if you want to, man, that was awesome. But that's different. Feeling awesome and sensing this, uh, getting the sense of awe is a little different. Awe has this like uh, feeling of mystique. There's something like uh, untenable, unreachable, like uh, something beyond us. Like we, we, there, there's a sense of awe, like wow. The best way that I could say is like, you know, when, we, when, we, when it's good, we say wow. We, we, we exhale really loud, right? But something is what? Awe, like when we are filled with a sense of awe, we don't breathe out. We don't say, wow, we go, <gasps> is, that, is that a gasp? It, like, I don't know. I, I had to think about it. Is that a, like, that's a gasp. <gasps> As if the Holy Spirit was, <sighs> and we take in what is releasing to us. You go, <gasps> the people in the early church, whenever they got together, kept feeling this sense of awe because they would not understand what God would do next. Man, I want to be a part of a church like that. I wish, I wish, I wish that we would gather together and every Sunday service worship experience would be filled with a sense of awe. And every one of the participants, every person that comes here with an expectation to participate and to give and to be, 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 be involved in what God is doing right now. The famous uh, pastor evangelist, guy named Greg Laurie, the, the, the guy who is in charge of Harvest Crusade, he once said this. He said, and if the churches today are not careful, we train people to be consumers instead of communers, and the church would end up with customers rather than disciples. I think, I mean, I, I hate to admit this, but I think more and more people, more and more churches today are found with people that are not wanting to go and commune and to give in and, and, and to be working towards building a spirit-filled community Many churchgoers roll up to church. Many people come to church thinking, what can I glean from the church? What can I receive? How can my family and I receive together from this church? And, 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 and receiving is part of it, but oftentimes many Christians ended at that. What can I take from the church that I plan on attending? 
So by nature, we are, uh, we are caught up in this mindset of consuming, consumer mentality, looking to gain from the church, not necessarily ready to share which God, which that God has gifted us with. And so sad to see that many churches today are filled with consumers rather than communers in the Lord. And the church mentioned uh, in chapter 2, book of Acts, operated differently. It was founded and built and strengthened in the idea of looking to meet the needs of other people. It was truly an interdependent community. The members of the church were found leaning on one another. Relying on, understanding that for my welfare, for my health, I can't do that alone. The only way that I end up better than I started is if I were to depend on the other members of the same church. Let me read for you verses 44 and 45 again. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Wow. I mean, I, I kept rereading this passage and I wanted to understand, right? Like, what does it mean when the scriptures tell us that they had all things in common? What does that mean? And I kept reading, and, and I found myself in a rabbit hole like, God, like community, what does that mean, community? They had all things in common. Did they all of a sudden like pull everything that they had together and, and, and put it in the middle of the church and say, hey, guys, now these are all church's things. God, these are all like communal properties. The clothes that I have, the clothes that I brought to share, they belong to all of us now. The food that I have and the spices that I have in the pantry, I'm going to bring them. I'm going to donate it. And now these are all of our things. And, and in my study of this passage, I kind of got lost. And it's like, God, like it, it community, spiritual community sounds awfully a lot like, like communism. What does that mean, God? Like, God, like all of the things, like we have equal possession of all the things. God, like I can't claim, like I... And I got lost, and I, I began to question, God, I don't know if I could preach this message. I'm not ready to teach on communism, <laughs> right? But I, I'm, not, I'm not talking, about, so we're not going to go there, okay? So I, I, tr I try to understand. I, I, I didn't think, like, that's what they made them do. Hey, friends, members of the church, bring everything that you have. We're going to put it in the pile, and now we're going to consider these things communal property. Instead... I don't think every person had to change. I don't think it was necessary for them to bring together all their positions, put in the middle pile. Rather, they were so trusting, they were so willing, they were so understanding of the needs around them. Hey, while I don't bring them to the church here, but I want every single one of you to know that all that I have are absolutely accessible by you. If I happen to be one of those guys that had his own house, I made sure to let everyone know in the church that say, you know what, you could come over to my place anytime. If I happen to be one of the dudes that had plenty of food, 
I go out of my way to help understand all the members of the church. Say, guys, my food, your food. My clothes, your clothes. What's the word? Mi casa es su casa. And that helped me understand a little bit. Okay, God, I'm good. Like, it's not, we're not talking about communism. But think about it. The Bible tells us in verse 46 that they have one thing in common. They operated the church with this communal understanding that all that we had was for the common use, for the common use, for the betterment of the entirety of the body of Christ. The members of the early church, describing Acts chapter 2, they were truly an interdependent community. Interdependent community. Let me define that word for us. It's a symbiotic relationship where the health and the, uh, and, the, and the wellness of parties engaged are reliant on the participation and cooperation of others. Again, it's this understanding that the only way that I can be up to full health, the only way that I can be well is for someone else in the spiritual community takes active participation in ensuring that I am fully healthy and fully wealthy, and it works together. This interdependent relationship. I think the members of this early church recognized that there was something greater, something bigger than themselves. They perhaps for the first time ever in their lives witnessed that God was on the move. There were miracles that were radically being changed. I mean, thousands upon thousands got converted, and they were baptizing them. They were being told that there was life beyond uh, what they were experiencing here on earth, and they all of a sudden empowered. They said, you know what? Maybe I can sign off on this. Maybe I can devote myself so that the advancement of the kingdom work can be done even through me. I know that I'm not that talented. Maybe I'm not that wealthy, but maybe somehow if I say yes to God, maybe then God can use me for the further betterment of the kingdom of God. So they kept showing up to these meetings, expecting, anticipating What might happen if they were to be willing participants of what God was doing in their midst? There was literally an organic movement. See, we today understand the church to be more of a building. We understand church more of an event. We understand church and accept church more of an occasional thing on a Sunday. We carve out time for a Sunday. We allocate our resources for that day only. It's a place where we visit. How many of you guys know that the genesis of the modern Christian church was not a building? It was a movement. It was a vibrant. It was unpredictable. But the church today has become a monument, a place where we go, briefly engage Understanding history, recalling the events in the past, we go, we sit in, we are told of information through the church, we pay our respect, we worship, 
It's a monument. But the church of God, designed by God in the beginning, was actually a movement. I believe today more members of the church need to recognize and accept that the church is a movement. It is dynamic because the Holy Spirit is on the move. Holy Spirit should be leaving us guessing what he's going to do next. Is there a miracle taking place? Is there healing taking place? Is there a need? Is someone's life radically being changed because we are like guessing that, God, what, can you, what are you doing next? In my prayer, as I was preparing this message today, I kept praying to God, I said, God, I can't give up on the idea. I can't give up on the picture of church that is described in Acts chapter 2. I've been in ministry now almost, I'm going to say, I'm going to phrase it this way, a quarter of a century. That's a little dramatic way of saying 23, 24 years, right? That is just a long time. And I kept asking God, God, why am I still in this game? God, why am I still doing ministry? And I said, God, if it was anything beyond what is described here, God, I'm not in ministry so that I can grow this church or, or get to a certain number. I'm not, it's not about that. It's about like, God, what are you doing? God, whose life are you interested in changing? God, who are you healing next? Whose life are you radically changing? Who are we giving hope? Which hopeless person that is showing up here and upon encountering God goes home with a new excitement, new vigor to live again? God, I want to be a part of that. God, I'm not about planning out fancy agenda for the next coming year. God, I don't want to just be like, oh, wow, let's program well. It's like, God, I don't want to be about that. God, I want to be about what are you doing and how can we take part? I don't want to just an awesome church. God, I want to be a part of a church that is filled with all of you. That we come as you breathe into everything that we do, we can't help but to wonder, like, how is this possible? I hang on to that. I hang on to that. And friends, it's my prayer that you and I would desire this kind of spiritual community together. When we are truly interdependent, when we are truly reliant on each other. It's great. I know that you want to be a part of that. I know that it would be great if Rooftop turned into a community described as such. Now I'm here to tell you that it's not going to just happen automatically. It's not going to happen simply because we pray more and more together. It's going to cause and every one of us, us working together. It will only happen when we make ourselves available, when we understand that what I have is yours and what I am is accessible by you, when we truly lean on one another. This is where it gets uncomfortable. 
Acts to community will happen when we loosen the grip of the things that we hold very dear to us. For some of us, that's material possession. Some of us, that's your emotional and spiritual guardedness. Some of us is this um, lone ranger mentality. Some of us is like, you know what? I don't really need anybody. I don't really don't, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that share. I'm not one of those people that like, I, I, I'm a very private person. You may say like, I'm one of those guys that, you know, whatever happens, I'm only going to share the praise reports. You know, like, you know, sometimes when we roll up to small groups, some members, they're great at like praise reports. You know, and over the history of my Christian life, those people, like, I, I, there's, there's some like that. Hey, can we share about prayer requests? Like, no, I'm good. Like, man, like, your life is always rocking. How is that ever possible? It doesn't leave me, though, feeling, man, I want to be just like that. It leaves me. You know what I feel instead? Like, man, I don't think we could ever be tight. There's no way. Because true intimate community, guys, it happens as a result when we share our own brokenness. Think about all the people that you feel close to in this uh, church. I guarantee you, you could pinpoint that day where you felt close to the person. I guarantee you it's because that person took a risk of revealing something that was so private. When that person shared a deep prayer request with you, at that moment you felt, wow, I wasn't ready for that. You know, what we say, well, we went from zero to 100 real quick. And sometimes you don't even have the words to comfort that person when that happens. Right? But it, keep messing, it keeps messing with you for the rest of the week. You can't stop thinking about that person. Guess what? You can't stop praying for that person the following week. Interdependence. Interdependent community. Where pastors rely on non-pastors. Where singles rely on married couples. And when old people, come on somebody out there, old people <laughs> rely on young people. Where are my young people at? <laughs> you sinners. <laughs> I know how old you are. No. Where old people rely on young people. How about this? Where seasoned believers and disciples of Christ rely on new believers. How many guys know, man, if you're a Christian for a long time, you get jaded too. You get tired. We need to see. You know, I love talking to newcomers. I'm a new Christians. There was a guy years ago, he was like freshly saved, freshly saved, like met Jesus at a, at a church retreat. He was so fresh, but whenever we ta- I talk with him, he would like cuss left and right because he's like fresh. Again, Jesus, he did not go through the proper church training of, 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 of doing away with like church, church uh, uh, Christian needs, right? But every time, like I love it so much. 
there was a little envy. It's like, man, I wish I were like you, man. Like, so raw. And, and you would see the genuine transformation over the years, right? And But, like, I, I love the dynamics where the old believers would be transformed, be encouraged, be challenged. And that guy was also the worship time. During worship time, he's like jumping like no shame. He's like jumping up and down, screaming, yeah, he barely know the words. And it's something about someone as church like me, like there's something powerful about that because I once was like that. When I encountered Jesus, I didn't care about anything. I dream of that. This interdependence. Young people, old people, people who have served, people who have never served. I'm going to get to that now. (laughs) This interdependent community. What would rooftop church be like? What would we look like? What product would we be consuming if we understood in this communal living? And we make our lives, not only our resources, not only our possessions, but what if we made our lives, our hearts, and our souls be available for others to take part in? And I'm going to say it, guys. You know, today, one of the biggest struggles that Christian churches have is the lack of volunteers, more and more people coming out of the season the past two and a half years, every church that I know is struggling with they can't get the Sunday routines going. You know, the funny thing is they are hiring more and more people, but they're losing volunteers at a rapid pace. And I told you, I'm not here up here today to mince words, okay? I'm going to go straight to the challenge here. Churches cannot survive. Churches cannot continue to be in existence without the active participation of the members of individual churches. Without your part, without volunteerism, we cannot exist. Think about it. You know, what, what did Pastor, say, uh, Pastor Tavis announce? The last announcement was trunk or treat, right? There's a reason why we do trunk or treat. It's one of the few times throughout the year that where we dedicate that Sunday for the youngest members of this church. So we come up with events. Uh, that's the day that, you know, more even adults show up dressed in costumes. Honestly, like, do, do you think I, I enjoy dressing up for this Sunday? Do you think, like, people who volunteer their cars and decorate, like, spending hours and hours, do you think they do that because they like it, they enjoy it? Can I be honest with you guys? It's not something that I look forward to. I, for me, like, uh, but do you know, like, why I make our, we do it? Because it needs to be done. Because we do it for the kids. Because we want to make sure that the kids, when they come to church on that Sunday, they have something to celebrate. They, they, that's for them. And we would need volunteering and, and, and participation from your I don't know what the number is. Eight cars, right? I'm thinking, God, why can't it be ten cars? And, and we're thinking, I know, like, well, Scott, because you got, you got kids. I know. We got kids. 
Parents are tired. We're busy. We're like, so we're like, you know what we're hoping? It's like, man, I, ho- I hope the singles sign up. Because <laughs> they're way more creative. They're way more fun. And I'm thinking, I can't help one day. I, can't go- I-, I haven't really checked the-, the list. But I fear in my heart right now, I wonder if the singles, enough single people, single members signed up for that day. I do, I can't help but to wonder, like, if they are dismissive of, well, that's for the parents, that's for the kids, that's not for me. But we're one church. We need to rely on each other. What about, like, different ministry teams, right? CM, Casey has been sending emails for parent volunteers sign up, and I get those, every single one of those emails, so I'm like thinking, okay, I want to see more people sign up. Because if you're a parent, can I just say this? If you're a parent, you have to sign up. Because we're taking, it's a, it's a trust system. I sign up for one day, you sign up for one day, the more parents sign up, the, the less we do. Come on, somebody, that's the beauty of volunteerism, right? The more you sign up, the less you and I do. Media team, right? You guys need volunteers too, right? Right? I mean, he's like, Paul and Jason, like, we need more volunteers. Because why? The more we sign up, the less all of us do. That's just how it works. It's the ultimate system of trust. What? Praise team. You guys have enough, right? I mean, <laughs> what is this? I knew this was going to happen. Huh? Care team. Care team. We need more work. We need more welcomers. Oh, no, prayer team. I know, it's like, okay, Scott, mention our team too. But what is this? Events team. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Huh? Zero members. Monica, events team leader, has zero members. Do you see what I'm saying? Monica is on that day for October 30th, Trunk or Treat. She's one of the people that is in charge of this event. She has zero members to work with. Why? Where is the help in this? There's a need. Who among us will say, hey, I'm available. I don't know anything about events. I don't, I'm not creative. This is the way I look at it. If you can walk, if you can lift anything, if you can lift this Bible, you're a valuable member of the events team. You have, you're able to hear things and you're able to take instructions. I know that's not, uh, uh, that's not, we should have just assumed that, but you're a valuable member. You can serve. Church, this is what I'm talking about. We are an interdependent community. Without your active participation, we would cease to exist. I'm telling you. We is, as even pastors, we can't do this alone. I don't believe for a second the goal of the church is hiring more staff, more pastors, and make them do all the work. That is untenable. It's not sustainable. See, we're this interdependent relationship. Staff rely on volunteers. Volunteers, you rely on us and the things that we can do. And I pray for that. You know, we are predominantly Asian Americans in this church. And some time ago, I came across this uh, article that was just really astounding. I thought it was so accurately portrayed. 
And I want to share these uh, uh, facts or, or four stages described by this writer, four stages of uh, Amer- Asian American Christians. Okay, let, let's just put that uh, diagram up. And, and this person described the four stages as these four, college, post-college, young adult, and parents. According to this writer, he said, most of Asian Americans encountered Jesus at the time of their late teenage years, early college years, and they become super involved in the church. They radically give their life savings, which is like $10. They, they, would, do, they would die. They would survive on church-provided pizza and, and, and rice and spam, they, but they love it. They, 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 they experience God in the super. They love it, love it, love it during the collegiate years. And after that, they graduate. They're no longer part of this mandated responsibilities and cheap labor. They, they have this like, aha, uh-huh, enlightening moment. And post-college, they leave often the church. Here around this time, they get their jobs they make money, and then they, 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 and they, they reprocess what they had encountered during their collegiate years. So post-college is marked by questioning their faith and trying to rediscover their faith in Jesus. They enter this young adult stage, ages 28 to 40, and they become nominal Christians. So after the, the testing period, exploring period, right, uh, they have fun. They take their trips. They buy their car, toys, their cars, or their home, whatever, and they come back to church, and they engage the church. By that time, they're just simply nominal Christian. You're comfortable. You're cruising as you are discovering and loving your career. You pick up new hobbies. You travel. You go to church when you can, when they can. When they want to, they're simply nominal Christians. And they, they enter the final stage, which is what? Parents' stage. During the 30s and 40s, it's here, it's here then they realize, you know what? I had paid my dues in the past. I am busy. My life is a hot mess with two kids, three kids. Uh, I only got one, but I'm praying that there's no more. I am just, I am tired. Church, I can't serve. I can't give. I'm not going to go there. You know what? But I pay my dues in the past. So now I am fully retired. I'm going to show up. What's the word? I I will uh, church social security payments. I pay my dues in the past, but now I'm just going to collect. And don't you, tell me, don't you tell me what to do because I've paid my dues in the past. And I, I, and I read this article. I was like, man, God, I pray that my church doesn't become this. While fearing God, if we're not careful, I think we're already onto this. Do you guys recognize these patterns? <laughs> I'm nervous as I share. <laughs> All I'm saying, I hope one day that we could be dismissive of such studies. I wish one day we could supersede the trends that we may see around us and be the church. Say, God, I will radically devote myself. I will make myself available 
the talents and the gifts that you have given me, somehow that you would use it for the betterment of this church community. Guys, there are things that I can't do, but I need you to do. And I think there are things that I can do, which I think you are less willing to do. One of the things, guys, this is just an example. I love babies. I love little babies. Littler they are, lighter and like the, the more they cry, the younger they are, I love them more. I'm just a little bit older. I'm 35. Just a little bit older than you. Stop. Stop questioning. You know what? What you consider to be a very heavy burden, taking care of your young children, I feel like, man, I'll do it any time. No, no joke, really. I don't know how many offers I've made to all of you guys. Hey, please drop off your kids. I, I know I live far. Like, Scott, by the time I get to your house, it's like next day. <laughs> it's like tomorrow. I get it. But I'm saying, take advantage of it. Why? Because what tires you doesn't tire me. You feeling me? I have older kids. You know what I find myself doing? I talk more and more to the younger members of this church. Because you guys are closer in age to my kids than I ever will be. I remember this last year. I had this like, like breakthrough moment. I just couldn't figure something out. I talked to a, a member, a single member of this church. And he navigated me through in the way that I was unhealthily uh, expecting for my kids. I'm reliant on you guys. Interdependent ministry. Interdependent community. Wouldn't you want to be a part of something like that? I'm going to share, share one last story. Can you put the last slide up? Do you guys know what this picture is? Just quickly look at it. Don't, don't shout it out. Just quick, quickly look at it. Who knows where that's from? Ikea. What about Ikea? I, Ikea, what is that? Ikea. Ikea instructional manual. So my kids are now 13 and 10. This is the final story. Um, so this year... Uh, we had to transition out of the little beds to big beds. Little human beds, cute beds, cheap beds to fuller human, more, way more expensive beds. And we had to because my son's legs literally were dangling. We, we tried to stretch this out as long as possible. Son, you could sleep diagonally. You could get good night's sleep. Nothing wrong with that. But at one like the legs were just like Lakers or just couldn't do it. So uh, in June, we had to get bigger bed. And I'm like, I got this. It's Ikea. How, how hard can it be? So I'm like, son, you get to build your own bed. I, get, I like hyped him up. It's like, I, said, I, I began to say things like, man, you get to say, I'm sleeping on the bed that I built. Right? I don't think it worked that well. Right? But we built it together. Guys, no, no joke. It took us seven and a half hours. I'm not the handiest guy. But, but even in my inexperience, I was like, I don't think it's supposed to take this long. <laughs> it's Ikea. 
But I remember at seven and a half hours, I'm like, I was done like, like 11 a.m., 11 p.m. I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. And by that time, like, and my son was like, Dad, this, I'm really tired. Like, God, I don't know if I can do this. And, and, and he's like, okay, I get it. And I, and I felt bad because I'm, a, I'm, I'm not that good at this stuff. I'm a bad teacher. We kept drilling things in, screwing, and then unscrewing, undoing. And my son saw me in my imperfection, in my, my inability to perform simple IKEA tasks. I says, Dad, I think I'm done. I get it. That was back in June. My daughter, in my calculation, I'm like, okay, we're good for the next three years, right? Because my son got his new bed at 13. I'm like, my, my, dad, my daughter's 10. And her drawer broke. I am still investigating whether that was done intentionally or not. <laughs> that drawer was rock solid, but one day broke. And then I said, and I said, and I give this like lecture, in, like, you need to be more mindful of the family. Like, we can't be irresponsible. Like, I, I feel so bad. I say, this is expensive, guys. You cannot break your bed right now. It's bad timing. And then, like, and then God convicted me, Scott, what are you doing to your child? You're robbing her of her basic necessity. Stop, you stupid dad. Like, provide for your daughter, man. Basic necessity. So we bought her under the bed. And I'm like stressing. Seven and a half hours. I can't, I said, God, I can't do this. So <laughs> it was Tuesday or whatever, say, hey, I. I called him Mike, hey, Mike, man, I'm going to need you that day. <laughs> I need you to be free Saturday. I'm just letting you know it took me seven and a half hours. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we would do it much quicker. And, you know, I judged him. He looks pretty handy. That was a mistake, though. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Let me finish, bro. Let me finish. Take it apart. Uh, take it apart, right? <laughs> and then, so we got together, and he's like, and then, and it, I mean, he said, he didn't even hesitate. He said, hey, I'll help out. I'm free Saturday. So I invited him early, because I wanted to just make sure we're going to start early, because last time I was on at 11 p.m. We started at 2.30 or so. We opened up. We looked good. He's like, yeah, let's op open up all the boxes, line up. I'm like, oh, this guy knows what's up. I felt good, immediately relieved. We're like two hours in. Pfft, not even done. <laughs> and he said, I think we should be done two, three hours. We're two hours in. Pfft, not even done. We got it done, guys, in what, four and a half hours, four hours? Four hours. And I told him, I said, thank you, Mike. I said, please, if you have in your plans to purchase the bed, do it now. Buy this one so we can be faster <laughs> building this. And I was so thankful and the next time I have a need, guess what? I'm going to give him a call. If, if, can I, right? If my, if my bed, my, our bed's next, honey. It's like if, if our bed somehow breaks, like we need to, guess what? I'm going to not hesitate to call up. Heck, I might even call you guys. Do you, are you getting me? I look at you guys. I completely don't have any barriers of, you know what, if I need something, I'm going to go to you. 
I have that mindset not because I want to take advantage of you, not because I consider you free labor. It's because I know that there will be days I'm going to need the same from you. I mean, you're going to need the same from me. That day, while we keep no track of all of these doings, it's because that's what interdependent community people do. What is mine, you have access. What is yours, I hope I have access. It's the refrigerator right. When I go up to my friend's house, if I feel comfortable, I mean, I, I love you guys, I like you guys, but not everyone will I feel comfortable when I go to your house, I just open your fridge. Guess what? No warning, guys. I'm just telling you, Scott, that is my goal. To have free rice to the fridge of your house. You know why? Because I think that is more telling of our relationship than anything else. You can come to my place. Some of you guys are already there. Like we had friends over last night, and man, they came. First thing, she's like, you know, what is, I didn't even have time. Like, you know, when you have newcomers, you have, when you have visitors, you want to make sure that it's presentable. I didn't have the time to even organize, go through the sauce bottles. Like, she came, one of the friends, they opened the fridge. What do you have? What should we eat tonight? I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 slow down. But that's how you measure how close you are in relationship. Do I have the rights to the fridge of your life? Guys, let us get there. Let us be the interdependent community as described in Acts chapter 2. When we show up to church, we come not just to take. We come ready to share all that we have and build something more incredible, something more powerful, something far more lasting than you or I could ever dream of on our own. Amen? Can I stop? <laughs> Please stop. I'm going to stop. Uh, Pastor Daniel, come on up and lead us into worship. And again, practically, I hope God spoke to you. I hope God speaks to you even now. I hope God is uh, uh, motivating you, inspiring you in ways how you could involve yourself so that you can, part of, you can be a part of this life-giving community in this church. Let's bow our heads at this time.